Hey everyone, welcome to the Esports Next podcast. I am thrilled to be joining as the host for season three along with my co-hosts. We are going to be interviewing speakers, sponsors, and attendees of the Esports Trade Association Conference in Chicago. So if you're looking to understand who will be at the conference and what they're all about, tune in, come join us. All right, welcome to another episode of the Esports Next podcast. I am here with my co-host Megan Van Petten, and today our guest is Brett Diamond, CEO of Version One, fielding a number of esports teams across the esports landscape, and a frequent attendee and speaker of the Esports Next conference in Chicago. Thank you for joining us, Brett. Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks for Megan. Great to great to be back here with you. And Absolutely. sponsor, John. And sponsor. And sponsor. There Forgive we go. me. <laughs> Speaker, sponsor, and attendee. You know, on this podcast, we're talking to all groups, all these three groups. And with just you're a three in one, Brett. Yes. You're doing all of those things. <laughs> so we we greatly appreciate you. Um, you know, when I think about version one. You know, the first thing that comes to mind, of course, is Minneapolis and how you guys have really put your stake in the ground in an area where professional esports wasn't really officially organized. Um, take us back a few years to when V1 was formed and what was that like and kind of what what has that been like over the last few years building and engaging that community? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question and a great place to start. And when we think about version one and and Minnesota Rocker, which is which is our Call of Duty team, you know, Rocker is really the one that's focused on the Midwest, Minnesota first and foremost, but also we started to do things in Wisconsin and looking to branch out to other other nearby states. And I'll get into more detail on that in a second. You know, for version one, um, we view version one as a national brand. Um, there's certainly, uh, we certainly lean into opportunities that are in our backyard. We are based in, in the suburbs of, uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul. Um, and so we, we have, um, you know, we have roots here. We sponsor the local high school leagues across multiple titles, um, including some titles that we're, we're not even in because we want to support that grassroots effort. Um, under Rocker, we've been very active in building that local fan base, um, not just in in Minnesota, but we did an event in in Madison, Wisconsin, a few weeks ago, um, where we had we had two other CDL teams come in, um, and it's part of an. And I'll probably get into more detail on this because it's something where you know we think is really interesting for the future of the industry, and that I'm personally passionate about. But we had two teams come to Madison. We did what would normally be online qualifiers in person, um, and had a very successful event there. Um, and so that's part of a broader strategy when we think about how do you um, continue to build, you know, a, a local and regional fan base of having, you know, having a presence in markets that you know, that are right. You know, Madison is where the University of Wisconsin is. That's a natural place to plant a flag if you're looking to build a regional fan base in the Midwest. Um, you know, and as you alluded to. There hasn't been a lot of prior to Rocker being established a few years ago. There really hadn't been much of an esports presence in this region. Um, there, you know, nothing near Minnesota um, in terms of at the like professional and tier one level. 
Um, there have been a few events in Chicago and LCS had their um, had their uh, finals there last season. So there's certainly you certainly get big events that come through Chicago periodically. But generally speaking, the entire region is very underserved from any sports standpoint relative to, you know, certainly relative to, you know, L.A., Dallas, um, certain cities yeah. on the East Coast. So we've seen we've seen a lot of success uh, in starting to plant the flag. And, and personally, I think that the the Minnesota Rocker fans are the best fans in the CDL. And that that fan base is, you know, obviously you're always going to have Optic, which is going to be way up here. Right. In, in Call of Duty, sure. like nobody can compete with them. Um, but from a local standpoint, um, outside of what Optic has, um, you know, we think that the, you know, we've seen the passion that we've seen out of Rocker fans is, is um, has been pretty, pretty special and pretty impressive. Yeah, I think there's a dynamic there in Minneapolis that's similar to the esports industry at large, which is being undersupported, right? And so I think when we look at sponsors and stuff like that, we, we have a lot of those topics at our at our esports next conference. A lot of what we talk about is a brand coming in and supporting a community that has not been supported increases loyalty, right? Because they've been desiring this but not getting it from anywhere. And so when I take that down to a local level, you're saying the Minneapolis area specifically that, you know, Chicago had the optic house and, you know, you've got obviously LA, New York, Atlanta, Dallas, Las Vegas, but what has been your experience from the community when you put your stick in the ground with rocker version one and said, we're here for the competitive gaming community. Did they just come out of the woodwork? Like you wouldn't expect or something different. Yeah, there's certainly an interest in it, and and you know I think all brands recognize that there's intriguing things with esports that they want to explore further. So it's it's not very hard to get that first conversation and to start the dialogue about it. Um, you know, there can still be challenges if you know depending on kind of where in the you know in the level of decision making there might be somebody that is still a little bit skeptical um, about about you know how that fits in with their companies and it you know it varies a little bit by game title etc um but my opinion like there's no question that within the next few years all brands that have significant marketing budgets will be looking at esports the same way they look at traditional sports today where not every brand has a traditional sports sponsorship and a, a part of that is their portfolio but any brand that has a, a significant marketing budget and significant um, you know, is trying to reach, you know, a, a, a certain consumer demographic, they consider traditional sports sponsorships as part of their marketing plan. That's where that's where esports will get to in the in the next few years. Um, you know, and, and we've seen a number of um a number of situations where, you know, we've we've well over delivered on what our partners' expectations were in terms of like the dollar spent relative to what they got out of it. Um, and any, anytime we're talking to anyone, it's all, you know, you just have, you have to, um, you know, you have to establish the right, you know, the right, um, you know, parameters for the conversation and the right, um, put in the right context. Um, but, you know, my opinion, you know, with, with an organization like ours, you can, as a brand, you can get dollar for dollar as effective, if not more effective marketing spend than on almost anything else you're going to do. Um, particularly if you're trying to reach a younger a younger demographic, that's really hard to reach through you know almost any traditional advertising market. And you know I think what we'll see over the next couple of years, 
not just as brands get more comfortable with esports and gaming more broadly as as a marketing vehicle um you know but brands are starting to get a better understanding of things that they've spent money on in the past um isn't necessarily mm-hmm. as effective as it used to be whether that's you know tv ads um you know certain even certain areas of of digital marketing websites banner ads etc that were you know that just aren't you know aren't proving to be as effective as you know as they might have been a few years ago well boy brett thank you for that the midwest and and the nation for that matter is so lucky to have you um and, <laughs> and me especially i mean this is your third time that uh, version one uh, is making their way to Chicago to support us as a gold sponsor. And we're, we're so delighted to have you. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, your experience at Esports Next and what you'd like to see from Esports Next this year. Yeah, well, the conference does a great job in bringing people together, not just from our industry, but people that are interested in learning more about esports. And that's something that's always impressed me every year, the number of people that are attending the conference to really learn about the space to begin with. Um, it's been interesting for me personally over time, um, having now been in, in this role for, it'll actually be four years next month. Um, but one of the first people I talked to when I took on this role was was John, um, where we met in an event and, had, and chatted a little bit. Um, and right from that first conversation, John was, you know, a great resource for me personally as I was starting to learn the space. And in that, at that point, I was very much in just like have as many conversations as possible, just listen, 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 just absorb things. Um, you know, I think that that kind of openness to bringing, you know, bringing people in that are that might be new to the esports and gaming world. Uh, I think you feel that, you know, at the conference as well. Uh, so it's been interesting for me to go kind of over the last few years of from being very new to the space to now having a little bit of experience uh, a couple a couple of years in, um, you know, but it's always great to get to reconnect with, you know, with people in the industry, um, whether they're people that you've known for a while and, and are coming out or people that are new and just looking to, you know, to take their first steps into understanding the esports and, and gaming world a little bit better. Yeah, I'm I'm curious, you know, you come from the most popular sport in in the US, most popular traditional sport in the NFL. Um coming over to esports, obviously you have this very robust youth passion dynamic where every kid is a gamer, a lot of them are playing competitive games. Like you um touched on not uh engaging with traditional media, traditional sports nearly as much. I'm curious, what part of the esports industry is the part that you are most excited about? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think it's just the, you know, it really is, a, you know, like being at the at the start of a frontier, right? Like where everything we're doing is new and different. And, you know, there's, you know, that can be there. I think there's sort of two different kinds of mindsets. And at least from what I've seen in, you know, whether it's, you know, people that I've talked to or, you know, people we've interviewed for jobs along the way or or whatever the case may be, where you get people that are excited and motivated by that unknown um, and see the ambiguity that can exist in an emerging space, any emerging space and industry as a challenge that you want to embrace um or that or it can be something that is you know that can be a little intimidating at times um and from the start you know your point on coming from from the nfl 
you know, I spent 11 years at the in the NFL at the league level, um, working primarily in their events department, worked on you know, some of the biggest sporting events in the world, Super Bowls, Pro Bowls, NFL drafts, um, went to the Vikings for a few years in their sponsorship department. Um, and but coming into esports, and now again, this is you know this is three four years ago. Um, it was really important whether it was for me personally or our ownership group's mindset, um, primarily the Will family who owns the Minnesota Vikings as well as soccer teams in Orlando. We weren't coming in saying, "Hey, we have all the answers for esports just because because we've had some success in traditional sports or in the at the NFL level." It was more about, yeah. "All right, let's let's." observe, let's listen, let's learn, let's just try to consume as much information as possible, whether that's, you know, I referenced earlier, our, our early conversation, John, whether it was, you know, conversations with people in the industry, tried to consume a, a tremendous amount of just content about, about the titles that we're in. And that's still something where if we're looking at getting into a new title, you know, the first thing I'll try to do is figure out like, okay, who are the, you know, who are the big personalities in that title? Um, just start listening to their content on a daily basis and you just start to, you know, slowly over time, it doesn't happen. It's not like, okay, I listen to, you know, one podcast and I'm good to go. Like it, you know, it takes time to, you know, to get that, you know, to gain an understanding. Um, and then, you know, once we spent, you know, spent several months just really in just listen and learn mode, um, you know, there was a point where, all right, we're now establishing Minnesota Rocker. We have a Call of Duty League team. You, we need to start executing. And then we built out a really talented staff where we were trying to take a very intentional approach of drawing people that had had esports experience. Um, you know, we didn't really didn't have that many people that came from traditional sports because we felt like we had that out of the gate. But over time, you know, we certainly did. Um, but really trying from day one to find a good balance of of having staff that came from esports, came from traditional sports, it came from other areas um, of either marketing, social and digital agencies, other areas of entertainment and media um, to, to just bring different perspectives together um, and just bounce them around, right? And everybody, you know, everybody checks their ego at the door and you really think about, okay, how do we just, you know, share ideas and you know, it's not like, okay, we're going to do this because we did this at the Vikings around the Super Bowl five years ago or something like that. It's like, all right, here's a, you know, here's an idea. Here's something that one of us had seen work in a, you know, past life um, and then kind of bounce it around and see how we can adapt it. And then ultimately make sure that if we go forward with an idea that it makes sense for the, for the esports community and the community specific to whichever title we're talking about. Um, and that's where we've seen our most success, where it wasn't about replicating something that had been done specifically before, but replicating something um, and then putting, you know, putting the right spin on it for, for the community we're trying to reach. I think it's so cool that you have such a traditional sports background, you know, so many years what do you what do you see as you know the trends or the the like what's different for you um in from traditional to esports yeah it's it's interesting i mean obviously with esports we're talking about a much younger audience but as much as that's just self evident in everything that we do occasionally when i'll go to either a traditional sports conference or meet with kind of my counterparts that you know that um, or colleagues I, that I know from my traditional sports roles in the past, it's so stark how different that is that a traditional sports team 
is still talking to a fan who has an average age of, you know, in their fifties or sixties. Um, and but, that's inherent, like, that's not something that's a surprise, right? Like we know yeah. that, but having those conversations or going to a traditional sports conference and just like, like seeing that firsthand, it's so stark what a difference that is. Um, mm. you know, and, and I think that's one of the, you know, back to one of the earlier questions, like that's the really exciting part about everything we do because we're really just doing things very differently. Um, you know, and you have to think differently than, you know, than a traditional sports team might. Um, but you're also seeing some really successful things in traditional sports that are that are taking a page directly out of the esports playbook. And an example that I use regularly is the Manning cast, which has been a really successful mm -hmm. companion broadcast to, to Monday Night Football. Um, I don't know if, you know, when they were sitting around in a boardroom, you know, at ESPN headquarters in, you know, in Bristol, Connecticut, if they made, if they were actually looking at esports comparisons, but like that, that basic concept of having a former player or an influencer or a big personality watch the game and have a little bit more of just a personal casual vibe to it. That's something that's been successful in esports for years and is very foundational to, you know, to a lot of things in, in esports. And now you're seeing that start to make its way to traditional sports where, you know, the Manning cast was obviously got a lot of headlines and was done at a very high level. Um, but you, but other, it's been experimented now with different, multiple different traditional sports leagues and broadcasts in their playoffs. And there's a successful one, um, su successful com companion broadcast in a similar fashion around the women's final four this year. Um, so there, you see that more and more. And that's, again, just takes, again, without knowing whether, you know, they actually looked at esports and said, hey, this is happening over here. Let's yeah. talk here. It is clearly the same basic concept. And it gets to what, you know, what I think we all see that younger audiences are more attracted to individual personalities than they necessarily mm -hmm. are, um, you know, the, you know, the brands themselves or even the teams and that sort of thing. That's something that yeah. is, you know, we see those trends across multiple different areas. Yeah, that's interesting. You definitely, um, echo the personality aspect there where you know typically it's like hey where I'm from I'm cheering for that team and I don't care who the players are and you know when that player leaves my city I burn that jersey and I buy the new one and xyz and so I think that you know in esports uh the those geographically located teams like in CDL like in OWL um, did not exist and so rather than attaching yourself to where you're from geographically it's no, I, it's this player who either I love his style or he's the best, or I love this streamer's personality sort of a thing. I'm curious because that, that puts a lot of pressure on teams, right? When all the fans are more closely associated with their players and they're going with them versus staying with the team is kind of what we see in esports. Um, from a team perspective, I'm curious if you can kind of concisely give a challenge or two that is that that needs a solution and then where are you optimistic in this space long term what are you um seeing as a silver lining yeah well i'll start with that dynamic that you mentioned of fans being you know more attached to players than they are to teams in, in esports and and i think that come i think there's all there was there are a number of things that are unique to esports and the number of things that are that are not necessarily unique but sort of 
come together that that make that more likely, right? Like, I think the, you know, I think younger people in general are more likely to be, you know, to to be supporting like an individual brand or, a, or an individual player than they are teams. Like you see that across, you see that, I think particularly in the NBA, because that's more of a like star driven personality league relative to the other traditional sports. So it's really not something that's unique in, in esports. but I think when you, when you have number one, that the entire esports audience or the vast majority of it, you know, are people that are under, you know, under the age of 30, um, you, know, you got a couple of people that are a couple of years older, like, uh, you know, like, like us, but, uh, for the most part, it's that younger audience. Um, so it's more concentrated in people that are more likely to take that point of view. Um, then you have the reality that it's only in the last couple of years, and in some cases it still doesn't necessarily happen, uh, but it's really only the last couple of years that you've had more consistency in rosters where it was, where it's, where you even see players staying with the same teams year over year, right? If you go back a few years in esports, mm. you really it was pretty rare that that more than one player stayed on a roster for more than one season, right? So that naturally makes it less likely that fans are going to support the team brand versus the you know versus the individual, right? If they just assume that hey, I like this player, he's going to be on a different team every year, it's a lot easier for me to just cheer for this player um, than it is cheer for the team. Ultimately, as a as a as a team, you need to try to do both, right? So, like, we are certainly trying to build brand affinity for our teams, um, and particularly, you know, we have the local angle angle with Rocker that we went into a little bit with version one, um, but then we need to find ways to appeal to our the fans of our individual players, give them a reason to support the team brand itself. Um, really, it's about giving them a good experience if they enjoy our content, if they like coming out to our events, if we, you know, that's part of why we try to show up in a big way um, when our teams are playing in, in lands um, outside of our region, you know, we, we've, we've developed a reputation for showing up at particularly Rocket League lands. Um, we've done a lot of, um, you know, had a lot of events around, uh, you know, around the main event when our teams have gone. Um, you know, those are the types of things that we think about, like how do we give fans a reason to become fans of Rocker and version one um, if they came in as fans of our players. And then if, you know, down the road, the players go somewhere else, hopefully they continue to be a fan of our team, um, even if they also stay as a fan of that player. And, and you also see it's more common, I think, in our space for fans to support multiple teams um, than it necessarily is in, in traditional sports. And there's a number of different reasons for that. Um, I got I got way down that rabbit hole on like the yeah. individual fan thing okay you know the like when you think about how the esports industry looks in the future and reasons to be optimistic mm -hmm. like there's there's no question that there's an audience there right now it's just a matter of figuring out what the right business model around that is and how do you grow it in the future so for example so the nhl playoffs just started um and i was curious so i looked at i looked at some numbers if you really did the math on, and I'll use TNT as, as the example. So the NHL regular season games on TNT average like in the mid 300,000s in viewers, right? They had 61 games on TNT. If you, if you do the math on that and, and get to an hour's watch number, that's mm -hmm. about the same number of hours watched that Call of Duty League will have over the course of the season. So 
there are there are multiple different ways to look at comparisons to traditional sports viewership that is actually pretty favorable with with esports. Now, what you don't mm -hmm. have in esports is you don't have you don't have the broadcast networks and the you know and the platforms willing to pay significant rights fees yet, right? Right, and that that has challenged the economic model. Yeah. That's an operative yeah, word. Yeah, and John's going to charge a fortune when they do. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and that's the key thing to remember, right? It's so like everyone gets so caught up in like, where is the industry right now today on, you know, sure. you know, as opposed to where is it going to be in five or 10 years? And it's a balance, right? Because as organizations um, and, you know, whether you're in a leadership position or you know when we're when we're having conversations with our ownership group or the collective ownership groups of the leagues we're in, you know you have to we have to find a way to run a business now with the economics that exist that are reality for us today, and sometimes you have to make decisions that that are relevant from a business standpoint in 2023 or for the next two or three years. Um, mm -hmm. And you're, you know, you're seeing multiple organizations kind of handle, you know, esports winter in different ways and approach approach these things in different ways. But there's no question in my mind that ten, if you fast forward ten years, esports as a whole and multiple titles will be among the premier sports and entertainment properties in the world. How it gets from here to there, and how, like, at what point in that, you know, in that evolution, we build a, you know, a long-term sustainable business model around it. That's what. Yeah. That's the part that doesn't happen overnight, and didn't happen overnight in traditional sports. Like the NFL is right. 104 years old, right? If you think about mm -hmm. where MLS was in the late 90s and early 2000s, like it was a league that you know, was not, you know, nobody back then referred to there being five major sports in, in North America. Now, nobody says four, everybody says five, and some, some would say more than five, um, because to MLS's credit, they have built that league into something that, you know, that is viewed as a premier sports and entertainment property. It, that wasn't the case 20 years ago, right? It didn't happen by magic. There were, you know, they had to build that over time and make smart business decisions and have the right people involved um, at all levels to, you know, to make it work. So, you know, when we think about back to like the media rights piece, because that's, you know, that's kind of a, you know, I'd say if you look at like esports revenue streams compared to traditional revenue streams, that's one that, you know, stands out as very, very prominent in traditional sports, but not necessarily yet a significant revenue stream in esports. The big difference is, so, and this is the way I've described it to a few people that don't necessarily, kind of, aren't necessarily in the esports scene. And I want to date myself a little bit, though I was pretty young when some of this happened. But... This is so much, this is so rich, Brett. I love it. <laughs> you really like, are. If I'm, down, if I'm too far down the rabbit hole, just stop me. I just- You're not, not, you're not, you're not, you're not. It's appreciated. Yeah. It's, it's appreciated. I think we should have you, you know, have Brett's corner in our newsletter or something. <laughs> I'll, uh, at the conference, uh, if you want me to do the history of uh, media rights uh, relative to traditional sports and esports, I'm happy to. But so think about, so, okay, early 90s was really a turning point in sports media rights in general. Um, and 
in that time in that time frame you had fox that was just coming on the scene as you know as a new challenger network to you know abc cbs and nbc so prior to that it just been like basically three broadcast networks yeah people had cable but it was you know that wasn't necessarily you know an area they weren't paying a lot for sports rights um and i'm mostly talking about the nfl because it's what i know instinctively right but i think it applies broadly to other other sports leagues as well so early 90s Fox comes in and pays a significant rights fee to get the NFC package of NFL games. And that really like changed the changed the dynamic in traditional sports because you went from having, you know, at, prior to that, there were basically three bidders for NFL media rights. Um, yeah, cable was sort of a thing then, but really functionally you had the three broadcast networks. Once that started to get disruptive, disrupted, now you had more competition for those rights. Um, so that starts to drive the price up. A couple of years after that, ESPN comes in, um, starts broadcasting what was then Sunday night football. Um, eventually, obviously, that became their package moved to Monday night football. But over time, that having multiple bidders for the media rights helped to drive that up in all in all sports. Um, and then once you started to get, obviously now, you know, MLS, MLS is working with Apple, the NFL has games on Amazon. That's just continuing to grow and grow and grow. In esports right now, you really only have Twitch and YouTube. Only YouTube is willing to pay any sort of media rights. Um, and for, you know, from a, as great as YouTube's reach is from a live streaming, live esports perspective, the viewership is far less than what you see on Twitch. And we're, we're living that in Call of Duty League, um, you know, this year. And so... Yeah. Like the status quo in 2023 does not favor significant media rights for, um, you know, for the broadcasts. But while it's hard to like look at the look at the status quo and say, oh, yeah, it'll definitely change at a certain point in time. Over time, these things always change, right? Like there's no way that 10 years from now, the status quo is exactly the same way it is today. Um but, right. on, but so once that status quo changes, you know, that's when we'll start to see, I think, more movement on things like media rights. Um, and that'll happen eventually. But, you know, we also have to operate businesses in the reality of 2023. And so that's something that, you know, that everybody is, you know, is approaching in their own way. Yeah. Well, that that's a. That's an appreciative insight that you have there, Brett. Thank you for that history and your wisdom. You you most certainly are um, a great, and the industry is lucky to have you. Um, I can say that one of my happiest moments is when I scan the room at the conference. I always look for you at the wit. I always look for you at the end, and I always look for your face, and I could just see how happy and proud you always are for our for our Midwest event. And it, it always makes, it always makes my day and you know what I scan my stop and there you are. Um, I'm just going to say as a woman in esports, uh, I respect greatly how version one supports women in both leadership and professional competitors. Tell us about your commitment to women. I've met um, part of your leadership team. And then there's um, other, other things that you wanted to discuss about that and how you shaped version one. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think first, first of all, we were really fortunate that in the early days, um, we hired some, we hired a lot of really talented people, and uh, two of our first three 
hires happen to be women, um, being Annie Scott Riley, who is our chief marketing officer, and Ashley Glassall, um, better known to some as Midnight, who um, is our director of content. She was an OG in the Call of Duty scene, goes back to like the early days of Optic. Um, and so we're fortunate to bring those two in as a key part of our, our staff, like right from the start. I was employee number one, yeah. Asher was employee number two, Annie was employee number three. Um, you know, and from there, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's really anything we kind of did that stands out as we did differently, other than, you know, we just tried to create an environment where, you know, where everybody could have their voice heard and, um, and had a seat at the table. And, you know, so fast forward, um, fast forward a few years, our leadership team, which, which is, um, which we refer to as director level and above here is over 50% women. Um, our organization as a whole across all levels is about 50%. It's kind of always been like right about that 50% um, 50% mark. Um, so, you know, that's been something that's really been just part of our, you know, part of our identity you know, naturally from the start. Um, in terms of the competitive teams, um, so our Valorant team um, is, a, is, uh, is an all-women's Valorant team, competes in um, both women-specific events, the Game Changer series um, that Riot has, as well as um, open events that have men's teams as well or co-ed teams as well. Um, and they're, you know, they just won um, the first major, the first North American regional event for the Game Changers circuit, um, kind of rolled through without dropping a map. So, you know, the, see, well, you know, our, the ambition for that team is to win a world championship um, in Game Changers and also, also compete um, in open events. And, you know, they, they, they made some noise in the, in the qualifiers for, um, you know, for the Valorant um, tier two scene, um, ultimately didn't qualify for that, you know, for that, uh, for that circuit, but um, definitely gave some, you know, gave some teams a run for their money there. So, you know, I know that I know every player on that team, their ambition is to play at the highest level of competitive Valorant um, in the world. So they don't view themselves as, as limited to um, limited to anything really, but certainly not just, um, um, you know, women specific leagues or teams. And from an organization standpoint, like that's something that, you know, we hope to support them on while they're part of our organization and, and nothing would make me happier than, you know, whether it's, you know, six months from now, a year from now or further into the future, any of the players that are currently on our Valorant team um, are ultimately playing in, you know, playing for one of the teams in the Valorant partnership program. And I, I think, you know, several of the, of the, of the players that are on our team have that, you know, have that uh, potential. Yeah, I love that. Um, and also one thing, one thing I'll add there, and you know, for us, like we want, we want to provide like the same level of of like when we got into into women's Valorant, we, it was important to us that we, you know, provide the same level of support, same level of passion and energy as an organization um, for all our teams, and you know, that's that's kind of a something that we think about anytime we were exploring a new title. It was important to us to make sure that we could make that commitment ourselves. Absolutely. Well, as we're wrapping up here, I have one last question for you, Brett. Um, you know, if I'm listening to this, I'm probably trying to figure out, should I come to the Esports Next Conference in Chicago um, at the end of August? And so my question for you, as you are operating an esports organization, 
you know, as you are working through developing, you know, profitable business models and, and optimistic about the future, who are the types of people and the types of companies who you would be looking to meet and interact with at this conference so that when they hear that, they say, you know what, I got to be there. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, as we talked about a little bit earlier, I think the conference is a great entry point for, for those who are new to the sports scene. So particularly, you know, brands, agencies that are looking to learn more about it and get that sort of base level understanding, get to, you know, meet people that are part of the scene, um, you know, start to, you know, start to just really gain that deeper understanding. I, I think the conference is extremely valuable for anybody that fits that description. Um, I also think it's a, it's a great opportunity for, you know, whether it's, you know, people who work for orgs like myself, um, others in the space to, you know, come together here, you know, hear from your colleagues, hear best practices, hear what's, what's kind of, what's, you know, what's just what's going on in the industry. Um, you know, and then I think we all still, you know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but, there's still, you know, it's still nice to get together in person with people after, you know, after having to, you know, not be able to do that for a couple of years. So there's certainly an element there of, uh, you know, enjoying each other's company that, um, you know, that uh, we weren't able to do for a few years. Yeah. I can definitely agree with that. Well, Brett, it's been fantastic to have you um, with us here today. <clears throat> Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're just really looking forward to getting everybody together August 21st, 22nd for esports next in Chicago and uh, looking forward to one of our next conversations being in person, my friend. Sounds good. Yeah. Looking forward to it. That's right. All Thanks, right. Brad. All right. Thank, thank you. you.